Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Fascinating Nouns. We are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now as we arrive at this curious nexus point, we explore this strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all those spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now this is exactly the type of show that I love. Right in my wheelhouse, interesting people doing interesting things. Now I'm talking about none other than Andy and Kristen Looney, who are the brain trusts behind Looney Lab Games. Now Looney Lab Games have created such incredibly mind-numbing games as Chrononauts, which later became Back to the Future, my favorite game. They created Flux, the simple game where you draw a card and you play a card, the only two rules you start out with, and yet every single card you play changes the existing rules. You never play the same game twice. There's a game called Pyramids, which I have to admit I've never played myself, but it has the unique distinction of being a game invented in the atmosphere, and by atmosphere I mean the ether, the creative dust that is Andy Looney's mind. And and solidified in a book that he wrote way before it was actually made into a game that you could play. Both of these guys, NASA scientists, putting things into space. Now they're putting things into the space between our ears. Just came up with that right now. What do you think about that? And finally, Kristen Looney. You may not know her by that name, but under the name Kristen Wonderlick, she was a terror when Rubik's Cubes were at the height of their popularity. There was no female faster. And that's proven, and I can tell you because I've got video footage. Check out the website. All right, I think we're ready to get going. Now, this interview is being conducted over Skype. So while the audio quality may not be up to Glencoe Fascinating Noun standards, I promise you the content is. Andy, Kristen Looney, thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome. It's great to be here with you. Hi well, there. Well, I'm, I'm really excited. I don't know if you remember me. I met you guys at the, the convention here in Los Angeles, and I, I kind of knew about you guys a little bit, about Looney Labs. I knew about Flux, and I knew about um, Chrononauts and the Back to the Future game, but I didn't know a lot. And I learned a, an incredible amount about you guys. You guys are pretty interesting just in general when it comes to um, life, I guess I should say. <laughs> Life. <laughs> Life. Okay. Um, so specifically, you guys are a husband and wife team, and you are Looney Labs. And I'm looking into the lab, right? Yeah, yeah, one of the one of the lab areas. Yes. The lab, the lab areas. Now, is Looney? Now, that is your last real last name, right? That's not part of the gimmick. Yep. No, it's absolutely my real name. I uh, was born and raised with that name. And I, I don't, I don't think I'd be quite who I am if I had had a different name. It's been my <laughs> last name for 23 years. That's, that's good. Well, here's what's crazy about it. I mean, you guys have kind of incorporated it into your gimmick. I find it kind of fascinating that people with certain last names kind of tend towards whatever it is. You know, um, yeah. I knew a woman whose last name was English, and she was an English teacher. A guy's last <laughs> name was Land, who just who worked on com like Land Community. Um, and Looney is perfect for you guys. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I think that having a name like Looney makes you, you know, from a very young age, kid, you know, people are expecting you to, you know, be the funny guy. And, you know, I grew up with a dad who was trying to be the funny guy, you know? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's fun being the funny guy, you know, even if uh, your jokes fall flat sometimes. Uh, it's, you know, it's very important to have a sense of humor, and I'm a big believer in that. And it worked out really well. It's a great name for a game company. Oh, it's, it's incredible. So how have you used that to brand yourself? I mean... Well, the name of the company is Looney Labs. There so. you go. 
Well, yeah. I mean, like, and you guys kind of do the games that you do are kind of fun and off the wall a little bit, right? Like, um, like Flux. I played Flux for the first time, and it's very like, um, like '60s and hippies themed, and kind of like the the art is very, um, you know, kind of wacky. That one version of it has a few. It has peace and love in it. Yeah, hippie is as a card, but that that's the, just your like basic original version of Flux. It's available in a dozen different flavors now. Everything from pirates to zombies to Monty Python and each one has its own kind of theme, and, and uh, we try to make the art and so forth fit that. Well, so tell me, I mean, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do in your own words. Like, how would you describe your company? Well, we make card games and board games, tabletop games that uh, you can sit around and play with your family and friends. Um, we, I like to, to make games that are easy and fun, that, that can be played in very little amount of time, in, you know, the, gone are the days when people want to play, you know, a, a Monopoly or whatever. It takes five, eight, ten hours to get through a game. We need games that you can fit into those little slices of time in your life when, hey, you know, we got five minutes, ten minutes before the food gets here while we're waiting at the restaurant. Let's bust out a game and play something. You need something you can play in five or ten minutes. Or 20 minutes while you're waiting yeah. for the rest of the people to show up for the party when you're going to you know, do something longer. And um, in today's short attention span world, that's the kind of game that I think is going to do best. Now, there are plenty of, you know, grognard game people who want a, a three-hour game experience. <laughs> I don't know what a grognard is. There are plenty of games <laughs> out there for those uh, hardcore gamers. But, yeah, we make games that are a very light, easy. Anybody can win until the last minute when somebody does chaotic kind of uh, card they, games. They have a, I like to say they have the perfect, the perfect mix of luck and strategy. Mm. So that when, when you win, it was strategy. I mean, you, you, you made it happen. And when you lose, it was just luck. You know? <laughs> 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 for, the, for the luck of it, you know? So you always feel good about it, and everyone always has a chance to win at any time. Yeah, just, um, oh, you got lucky, but, you know, I, I, I'll win this time. I mean, yeah. one of the, I think, the most important traits in a game, when I feel like, okay, this this game is working, this design is solid, is when you get to the end of that game and people say, oh, I was just about to win. We, rematch! Let's play again. Those are my favorite words right now. Like, Let's play again. At least when you're talking about one of my games. It, it, it's that feeling that, you know, I don't want to stop. Even though I lost, I want to play this game again right now. Whereas if, you know, you play, you get a playtest group to play one of your games and like, they get to the end, and they're like, okay. Yeah, that was fun. That was cool. Okay, yeah. now what are we going to do? Right, What's yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that, that is not an addictive game. You know, addictive is one of those words. It's like, you know, oh, that's addictive behavior or whatever. It's, it's plenty of bad things about things that are addictive. But in my business, making games, there is no higher praise than to say <laughs> that has addictive gameplay. Hmm. That makes sense. And, and the other thing that's kind of cool about what you guys have done is that you were talking to me earlier. You said you, don't, you make board games without boards or with cards as boards. So it's different approaches to the whole gaming idea, right? Yeah, well, I, I kind of... The English language lacks a good word, really, for what we make. Card games and board games are basically the same... A card game is a board game where you're using cards, but there's no actual board except the table that you're playing on. Hmm. And there's a lot of blurring. We do a lot of board games where you're, you're using little pyramid or gaming pieces and things that you play on a tabletop without an actual board. And we have a card game called Chrononauts where you make a kind of game board-like tableau out of 32 cards that you flip and add to during the course of the game. And it functions just like a game board. But it's a card game. 
and it be it, lately there's been the word you know, the phrase tabletop games is really kind of gaining traction and i like that it, it does a better job of explaining what we make yeah and it helps to separate it from well no it's not computer games you know we pay we say tell people what we make we say well we can get we, we make and sell games and they're like oh like computer games well no not, not video games oh like casino games well no you know old yeah. but not like monopoly those things are vintage too i think i think back to your original question i think the answer is we make casual tabletop games good answer <laughs> that was the perfect long short, but good cop, bad cop. Well, it's funny because like when you talk to normal people, I, I'm not really normal people. Like I'm yeah, a, I'm no, a normal people. Normal people. Yeah, we, we don't associate with a whole lot of that. All our friends are weirdos. <laughs> well, what's funny is for most people, I mean, board games are a thing of the past. Like, like people still make board games. I mean, there's conventions for board games, so people don't really think about the fact that not only is board gaming alive and well, but that there's space where a small company like you guys can grow, thrive, and profit you know, yeah, tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. People, there's a lot of people who just don't quite realize that card games and board tabletop games have been continuing to be invented and new ones keep coming out. You know, they think Monopoly and Clue and the classical board games and they don't, they're just not aware of it. But there's been a big renaissance in the last 10, 20 years with what's called the Euro games led by Settlers Catan, Carcassonne, some of these other, um, you know, German board games that have been reimported back here. Excellent and pronunciation, by the way. Renaissance of, of classic board gaming. But, you know, there are people coming back to it now saying, wow, there's all this stuff I didn't know was going on. And we're like, we've been doing it all along. Right. Well, and you know, I mean, it's, it is kind of amazing. I don't know if you heard me, but excellent pronunciation, by the way. Those are, uh, those are hard games to spit out. They're not carnassons. But yeah, they're, 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 it's, it's really kind of amazing. I think they came out in 2001, and you know, right around that time is when a lot of people really got in. I mean, the casual, everyday people kind of got into board games as if like, oh, the board games are back. They're brand new. Um, I do want to say one thing in defense of Monopoly. I grew up on Monopoly. I love Monopoly. It does not take eight to ten hours to play if played properly. That's all, all I'm going well, to say about that. Well, of course. You can't use that free parking rule. That just makes the game go on forever. Yeah. And you can't Thank be you. nice about it. You know, let people buy the things they want and then just kind of let it skate. you got to be ruthless and drive them out of business. And <laughs> that, then it can be a shorter game. I'm I, totally I in agreement. Too. I mean, I, 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 you know, we all had our, our, our day playing it. Yeah, but uh, and another one that I compared to is Risk. I mean, that was another oh. one that would you we would that would be our snow day thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's snow day. We have yeah. all day. We're gonna play Risk and actually get through the game. <laughs> and we were, we're still yeah. get in that deadlock state where everybody's got a, a controlling area and nobody can quite make a move, and the game never ends. And now it's dinner time, and you gotta go home. <laughs> that's man. That explains most of my childhood. Um, and, and, and I don't, for the people at home, um, who can't see you right now, although there will be a picture on the website, uh, along with several videos, we'll get to those in a second. You guys are kind of like the Ben and Jerry's of board games. Have you guys ever been described as that? Um, yeah, sure. We're that hippie game yeah, company. we are, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I mean, you guys just do that, um, that free thinking kind of, uh, I don't know, I just, and, and I think you guys described it as, or maybe I did, I don't know, but like fun and intelligent games, um, for like a more funner and intelligent Intelligent to your experience. So we, right? we have a phrase which is smart games for smart people. 
Well, there you go. That's, I mean, and that's what you guys do. There's also on your website, I think you said, uh, a game design that it isn't rocket science, but that you guys are NASA engineers anyway. Is that, is that, is that true? That is absolutely true. In fact, we met at the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in our previous careers as aerospace engineers. Wow. And, um, yeah, NASA, NASA looms large in our history, actually. Um, now when you say looms large in your history, that sounds ominous. What does that mean? Oh, just a, well, I, I have a lot of, uh, well, getting tongue-tied. I know, uh-oh, I stumbled upon I'm a second, and I'm, a, I'm actually a second-generation NASA engineer. What? My really? dad was um, one of the first 150 scientists who left the Naval Research Laboratory in 1958 to go start the Goddard Space Flight Center as this new, brand-new government agency, NASA, started they, they worked out of trailers at first as their buildings got built. And he literally just last month, this April, just just re officially retired, I think, for the last time. He, they gave him a really cool trophy with the rocket, uh, the, the original Goddard rocket that uh, the center's named after the designer of that, the uh, pioneer of rocket. Anyway, so NASA has been... Uh... So, yeah, and so he worked there my whole life, and I followed in his footsteps. And uh, got a job there and right out of college and worked there for about eight years. That's where I met Kristen. And um, I would probably still be working there if it weren't for the whole chance to <laughs> to uh, start a game company and so pursue that dream. Basically, NASA paid all your bills up until about yeah. 16 years ago when Flux took over the job. Absolutely. And now <laughs> Flux pays all your yeah, bills. Yeah, NASA, NASA put every meal on the table for my whole life until Flux took over that task. Well, that is incredible. I had no idea you were a second-generation NASA superstar. That's so at the f well, superstar. Uh, we're no. all just you know guys working on the big thing. I'm I'm trying to push you here, man. Come on, not a superstar. <laughs> That's the term I'm going to use. So, so this I is. I did work on the Hubble Space Telescope, though. That was very cool. He now you flying in space. Yep. Wait, who? Well, you went flying in space, or no, no, no. His code. No. So <laughs> software that I wrote was installed in the Hubble Space Telescope during the first servicing mission. On a, on a computer they added in as a repair part of the overall repairs during the big push after the, the mirror uh, problem. And then it was taken back out again in the third servicing mission where they just totally upgraded that computer. So for like four years I had uh, 4,000 lines of Tico flying in space. Now what did those 4,000 lines do? That's very important. Oh, <laughs> they just moved some stuff around and set it up so that the computer could have more attitude in later. It was called the bootstrap module and its main purpose was to allow additional software to be added in once the uh, once this, the the computer was was on orbit, as we say. <laughs> wow. So, so Kristen, were you are you a second or third generation NASA superstar as well? <laughs> uh, no, I, I worked there for ten years, but uh, no 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 earlier generation involved. No kidding. <laughs> but she did cool stuff too. She designed chips and stuff. I designed chips that were part of ground systems that collected data from the satellites. So what kind of what kind of data? Are we talking um, space, uh, 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 intelligent life forms, or very large-scale integration, VLSI? I remember that phrase. And every now and then, I would get called down to the to the to the main office down the hall to solve the Rubik's cube. <laughs> uh, well, my there, boss knew that I had solved the cube when I was sixteen. You know, when I was a kid, and so he he whenever somebody important well, not just, would come not to just visit, solved it. I you know I I met I saw Kristen for the first time. <laughs> on TV, when she was 16 and I was 1981. Yeah, when she was on That's Incredible, 
solving the Rubik's Cube. And it's easy to remember because she was the only girl on the thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I remember watching that episode. And that would have been the first time I ever saw Kristen. Well, you guys are getting way ahead of me, but we're getting... Well, you guys are getting way ahead of me, but we're going to explore this right now. So, uh, <laughs> you beat me, you, you beat me to the punch. My point was that my boss at NASA used to always make me come down to the conference room. And it was a problem because I didn't have shoes a lot of the time. I didn't wear shoes. And he didn't care, except that when I went down to the division head's office, I was supposed to put my shoes on. And he would call me down to meetings, and I would think, oh, shit, i got to be, like, and I'd be worried, like, what is this meeting about and what work-wise, like what I was going to have to like, am I ready for whatever they're going to ask me work related? Yeah. And no, no, no. They always just, he was always just calling me down to solve the Rubik's cube. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they would just, they what would, you ask? so they would like make it all crazy, like however they wanted. And you just come down like blind yeah, and just, well, so what I was going to say, so we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Fine. We'll do this now. You want to do it now? We'll do it now. Um, so the Rubik's cube. So you, first of all, I want to ask Andy a question about this. So you saw, Kristen, on that's incredible. And were there were there heart shooting from your eyes? Were there a little birdie singing? Oh, no, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, it was merely that, that <laughs> later in life I pieced it together and realized, wow, I I I, I remember watching that show. I, I must have been the first time I saw her. That is that is incredible. So let's talk about this talent that you have, um, because I want to tell you, given I love. I got it. I love the internet, and I'm gonna tell you why. I was able to get a copy of you on That's Incredible. <laughs> so you've seen it too. I have seen it, and I've 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 read. She was quite the charmer back then. It was. Well, here's what's funny about it. First of all, I've re-edited it so that it's just your scenes there because it's like a half an hour cool. program. So oh, it's on. It's on the website. Uh, it's on there right now. Uh, well, actually, it's on YouTube right now, but it'll be on the website in, um, in, in about a week. But here's what's crazy about it: is it's <laughs> it is the nerdiest group of guys I've ever seen, and then there's one girl with the with this look like, oh my god, what have I got myself into? Hey, I had so much fun that week with those nerdy guys. We got into trouble. We were tossing cubes out the window into the swimming pool down below, and having competitions at Disney World. Solving the Rubik's Cube, trying to see whether or not we could, we would, we would start off on a roller coaster with a with a messed up cube. You weren't allowed to start <laughs> until um, <laughs> until the wheels started moving, and we were trying to have it solved before you know before the ride was over. Right. Well, that, that's inc I mean that's crazy. Here's what here's what was kind of unique about it. I love these kind of competitions. Like I've seen Scrabble competitions and um, you know crossword competitions, all these types of things. So w on that show, they messed up the Rubik's cube in exactly the same way for everyone, right? Yep, for the because yep. there's like three heats and and then you have to do it for time, right? Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to watch people's hands like your hands are like I mean, and it's like you know what you're doing. Like, most people who pick that thing up are looking at it like, oh, what is, like, what have I got? And there was a book, like, when this thing was popular, there was a book about Rubik's Cubes, right? And how to oh, solve them. And, In yeah. fact, see, that's one of the things to me that's amazing about Kristen. She figured out herself how to solve that thing. What? She created her own, and it was like this whole, like, competition between her and her sister when her dad, the mathematician, brought it back from the math conference before anybody it was even a craze yeah and she had she had to do all this like studying it out when she when it wasn't her turn to mess with the cube because if you know what the cube is like it's like when you're if you're trying to solve it you don't want anyone else touching it you only had one right so 
it, when it was Ruth's turn, I wasn't allowed to turn it. I wasn't allowed to mess with it. But if she wasn't using it, I could look at it and study it. <laughs> this was actually well, that's so crazy. I, I love it. About <laughs> myself at a young age that I knew dream in color. Oh, really? Um, because I was dreaming about the Rubik's cube. You know, and solving the Rubik's cube, and I, I definitely could confirm that I dream in color. Wow, you anyway, are such a nerd. That's so great. Own, <laughs> own way of solving it, which is actually arguably a better way of doing it than the than the most common way. And yeah, you're right. There were some books published, and in fact, I learned to solve the cube myself at the at the during the cube cry uh, crisis. Right. <laughs> the, the cube crisis. The, the cube crisis. <laughs> uh, but I, I just learned from a book. You know, one of them, like, how to solve the... Cause I remember Boring. Dad, you know, that's one. Like, uh, you yeah. around, like, this thing is impossible. And so after a while, I got a book, and I learned from the book all the moves, and I can do it using, you know, that method. Although I've probably forgotten at this point. There was a, a long time well, ago. you can't solve the cube anymore? I don't know. I may, I oh, tried. Oh, I may I have forgotten. I had to get it, break out my book and remind <laughs> myself of those couple of last moves. You've just been called out. We have you a competition, know, again, the Looney competition. You, from a book. you can enroll in it was, Cube College if you'd like. And, and here's the thing, though. I, I learned from the what, what sort of the top-down approach. Yeah. Whereas Kristen's is the corner approach. Yeah. And she did as well as she did in that contest because her method is just better. If you watch that video, she is much slower. And I, my favorite moment in that video is when they say go. And she'll, she sort of like leans over and kind of picks it up and doesn't even really do much with it. She's kind of studying it out like, oh, what's where? And then kind of casually starts moving things around. Whereas everyone else is like, and she still does better than them because she just has a better method. That, so what is your method? They were faster with the, with the top-down method than she was. with. And the one who won, yeah. as I recall, Min Tai. Yeah, <laughs> look at did, you, man. He also used Kristen's method, which is why he did as well as she did. Is that so? You're like in co in competitive eating. Kobayashi is the he's redefined competitive eating. I don't know if you know this, but everyone uses his strategy, so it's very similar to that to the hot dog strategy. So how do what is the strat what is the strategy? This is this is great, man. I love this. So what is your strategy for the Rubik's cube? I didn't know there really was one. Well, there's just different methods of approach, and what he was saying is I do corners. I do I do not. I don't even do a full side. I do just the four corners on the white usually, and then. I do the four corners on the bottom, which are the blue, and so now all of the corners on the cube are solved. Then I do the white side and the blue side at the same time without really any kind of move. It's just sort of I pop the pieces in place. And then all that's left is the middle ring. Um, and then I have a couple of moves that move that ring around until, you know, until it's done. It's a very holistic wet method, whereas the top down is more driven around the guy who's like trying to solve the cube. And the one thing you can do is like okay, I can get one side, and like, uh, and, and then usually you look at it and you're like, yeah, but you didn't do it right. If you look at the one side, yeah, it's all green on that side, but on the edges, they're all wrong. And you're like, <laughs> oh right, you gotta you gotta get the one side really proper so that all the corners on that one side are right. So that's about as far as you can go. And then you're like, well, what now? And so you get a book, and it says, okay, go that far, and then here's how you get to the next, and you work your way down, and you fix the bottom end. And, you know, it's just a totally different way of doing it. That is amazing. I mean, the Rubik's Cube has always been kind of one of those things in life that I, I never thought I would ever learn about. So I'm just, I've left it to the rocket scientists who, who design game companies. But right. but I rememember like the, the trick was uh, people would just peel off the stickers and then put oh, them back in. And I was like, oh, yeah. Because they don't stick on as good. No, they don't. And they're always if curling you're off. Cheat, at least... Turn the thing one quarter and get a screwdriver and pop it apart. 
and then you can <laughs> that works much better. Wow, someone someone's definitely cheated before. Um, all right, so let's we'll move along. I I, I could listen. I can talk about the Rubik's cube all day, but I'll. We'll, we'll, so yeah, no, that's great. So, but the one thing I'm gonna need to do yeah. is I'm gonna need to go edit some video myself as well because I have this big long piece of footage that's way too big to put up online like it is. Yeah. But of me solving the Rubik's cube for like three or four different celebrities on this Joko cruise I was on three or four years ago. Oh uh, wow. So I really need to turn that into something I can put up and promote. So maybe I'll make that happen. You should um, do anyway, that. Next question. No, you should do that. And now we're talking about it. People are going to come see it. They're demanding it. The people are demanding you put the that thing up on time. <laughs> Your fans are demanding it. Your fans are demanding it. So watch this segue. So when you saw her on, um, when you saw her on That's Incredible, I think something probably stirred inside of you. Um, and so when you met her in NASA, how did you, how did you guys meet? How did that whole thing happen? That started this whole Looney Labs. I guess it was you heard about me when you were interviewing. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I was this weird person who didn't ever wear any shoes and solved the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> entirely because of David Howell, the branch head at Code 520, yeah, got his base flight center. He hired you, Yeah. and I then was, was graduating and went looking for a job at Goddard because I thought it would be so cool to work at the same place my dad had worked and um, all that. And I interviewed for a job with the Code with some sort of software group at 522 and they passed on me they passed on you they they, they turned me down it did not give him a job unbelievable and, and I, I i would have been out except that david howell had looked at my resume and said even though this guy's turned you down this guy looks like he might have something and maybe chesney's group would like it so he took him down he took my resume down the hall to jim chesney and said you might want to bring this guy in and Chesney had a, had a spare point for hire. That's actually really funny. I hadn't quite understood that because Dave Howell met me. I was like visiting my parents, and my dad was was working on this computer at NASA called Massively the, Parallel Processor. Yes, the MPP. <laughs> <laughs> we saw the MPP a few years ago in a museum. Holy cow! Space Museum extension out at uh, because we met because of this computer. So so this MPP was at NASA. My dad. Took me over to NASA on a Saturday afternoon, saying, "Oh, I can show you NASA." Like he, I was like, I was driving down the road and I saw a sign that said NASA, this exit, and I freaked out. I was like, "To me, NASA is like Florida. It's the right, Cape, you know. Right. It's like and, or and Houston. I, we or have a Houston. problem. Yeah, yeah, right. I didn't know NASA was here. Right. You know. And so he's like all proud, saying, "Okay, I can take you. I can show you around." Well, actually, no. He like knew one room in one building, and you know, <laughs> we had a badge that could get you on center. But I went in on a Saturday afternoon, and he showed me this big computer, and just happened to be in the same space that afternoon in the same lab was this guy, Dave Howell, who, after a couple of hours of listening to me, I don't know, be me, he said, what are you doing this summer, um, and offered me a, a, a summer job. Um, and he At NASA, a summer well, job at NASA. He was computer science. Wait, I'm sorry. I should go over to that other group, and I said, no, 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 I want to go to the one that's doing the gate design stuff, because I just did that in a class in school, and I loved it. Um, so we both ended up in Chesney's group, you know? Right. Anyway, I, I, I That's went incredible. an interview with Chesney because he said, you know, you, you might be interested in this guy, even though I wasn't really interested in it because this was a hardware group and I was a totally a software guy. But they were like, no, we need a couple of software guys to you know, write controller software for the hardware we're making and stuff like that. So, and Chesney thought, well, he looks, he, this guy might be worth it. If I have a spare point, I might as well give him a try. But I remember well the day I was interviewed and Chesney showing me around and saying, 
Yeah, we got a lot of real interesting people working around here and taking me into the lab where there she was, Kristen, with, uh, you know, no uh, no shoes and behind <laughs> the bench doing something in the lab there. And uh, thinking, oh, she looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> and him saying, yep, you know, she, and probably, he probably demonstrated your skills right then. And you're like, yeah, she can rock, stop the ruby scare in less than a minute. <laughs> and your heart skipped he a beat. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he frequently had you demonstrate that stuff. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Um, that sounds adorable, by the way. Uh, wait, so I just want to go back to one point. I, I, so you had a summer job. They just gave you a summer job at NASA? Is that how that yeah. worked? Yeah, it was a summer job, and then it turned into a co-op position. Uh, I was in college at the time. Um, wow. And so I came and worked for the summer, and then I went back to school. And then I actually transferred, and I, and I moved out to the area and, and took a job actually as a co-op student, which is a government position. It was a contractor the first, that first summer. Mm. It was through a contractor that they hired me. And then I got a job as a co-op, and transferred my my school from the University of Illinois to the University of Maryland and then when I went in finally for school and I went in I'd already been a co-op for a full semester over previously and I went in to sign up for the program and they were like look Illinois doesn't have a co-op program we can't transfer you you know uh -oh. and it's like I'm already doing the job I don't need you to find me a job I just need you to like do the stupid paperwork right. and they taught <laughs> me hard on it because I really cheated because I already had the job and that's not allowed yeah. And I was Your claiming the I had the job when I was with a school that had no co-op program, which is completely illegal, you know? <laughs> anyway. Wow, um, paperwork, man. I had man. Chesney come in and talk to them, and they cleared it up. and they... Chesney was great. We really liked Jim Chesney. He was such a great boss. He was. He sounds incredible. We for eight, for eight years together, and he was a lot of fun to work for, and he took care of his people, and he got the job done. Yep. He, he was, was definitely a role model. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jim Chesney. Jim Chesney. Let's give him a shout out, man. He sounds great, and he put you guys together. I mean, he, he, he yep. made this happen. If it happen. weren't for him, we definitely would not be together. If he hadn't hired me, taking a chance on this weird geek named Looney. <laughs> Second but generation, I though. I, I, uh, I, I pulled some programming miracles out of, his, out of my hat for him. Yep. Yep. Well, that's. I mean, I imagine that you would. I imagine you pulled a lot of miracles. Did you say hat, right? You said hat? I, I did, yeah. Okay, all right. I want to make sure. Yeah. Oh, one, one quick point. I'm going to take a little side street here really quickly that I forgot sure. to go on before. So when I watch That's Incredible, it says... <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's why. Here's why. No more Rubik's Cube. But here's why. <laughs> here's why. So it says, Kristen Wonderlich from DeKalb, Illinois. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. I went to school at NIU. Oh, and I kind, I kind of freaked out when I heard DeKalb, Illinois, because he kind of muffled it. He's like, DeKalb, Illinois. And I wasn't sure, and I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Because most people, I don't know a lot of people from DeKalb, but, oh, oh okay. I need to explain this for the listeners at home. because <laughs> I just knocked down at the beginning before we started this? Whoa. this flying ear of corn that says DeKalb on it. Okay, so we need to have, oh, I'm a quick little story side note for the listening audience at home. Before we started this interview, I was talking to both Kristen and Andy Andy reached up for something, and something I thought he died. Something fell on him. There was a big mass catastrophe going on. He had knocked down a flying corn DeKalb sign. Unbeknownst to me, this happened off camera. He just showed it to me. The flying corn is the symbol of DeKalb, Illinois. It's a big piece of corn with wings on it. I stole one of those from a cornfield <laughs> to, <put, laughs> to put in I, my I dorm room. I never do a thing like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> Get a DeKalb ear of corn side by stealing it. That is entirely inappropriate. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I had what like two year years. were you at NIU? I was there from, 
97 to 2000. I graduated yeah. in 2000 and then went to Boston where that thing stayed with me in my room in Boston to remind me of my DeKalb roots. <laughs> what do you think about that? You still have kept yours, I see. <laughs> Handy, too. I mean, it's right there behind you. <laughs> well, that's so that's true. I, I should have just said that I had to break it out. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I wish people could see that. I wish yeah. I was filming this right now. Um, well, so let's get back to your games because I want to tell you the uh, the. Oh no no no! I know where I was going. So you wrote a book. You wrote a science fiction book that you based one of your first games on, right? Yeah. It's called um. Yep. The uh. The empty city. Empty city. That's right. Yep. So um, yeah, people ask how I got started inventing games. And the how did you get started inventing games? I, I wanted to be in college. I, I, I studied writing because I, I had a knack for it. I thought, oh, this would be great. I'll be like a writer. You know, I'd love to write fiction. It, it was I wrote, you know, short stories and they, they were well received and all that. But I also wanted to have a job and make a living. So I studied computer science and got a degree in that. And uh, the whole time I was thinking, well, you know, uh, in my spare time, I'll develop my craft as a writer and I'll work on uh, writing uh, in my spare time until such time as I can quit my, my you know, government programming job and make a full-time go of it in the creative field that I would like to pursue. And basically that all went down as planned, except that <laughs> as a writer, I became a game inventor. But I did that by writing a novel in which I described an imaginary game Actually, it was just a, a long, short story at first, but I then expanded it into a whole novel. Um, but I, I described a, a game that didn't exist in a world where that game was very popular and everybody played it, the, much the way people play decks of card, play card games and chess and things now. And at the time, I had no idea it would lead to basically becoming a game system that you can play hundreds of games with, much like a deck of playing cards. Hmm. But at the time, and for eight years or so after, um, the first game that, that we had, invented actually by a friend of mine named John Cooper, who was trying to design a game like the one I had described, basically uh, like, like the people who turned Quidditch into an actual sport mm -hmm. based on you know reading uh, the descriptions in the yeah. Harry Potter book. So basically yeah. John worked out rules that made the game Andy had written about. So he Andy kind of designed the game in words, and then John put but rules to it. Not quite enough that detail worked. to actually make yeah. the game. Like broad, he wrote he wrote broad strokes. He wrote down the rules. He just right. wrote down. Well, I hadn't invented the game, and, and at the time I didn't know how to invent a game. Hmm. But after you know, 25 years later, after now you know, that, since then, trying to invent games. Well, and it's an important part of the story is that these the these pyramid games needed little plastic pyramids to be played. And, of course, those didn't exist. And how do you get little plastic pyramids made without spending, a, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on injection molding? Well, the answer is you don't. And we didn't have that money until years later after we were able to uh, make money from other things. But the long and short of it is Kristen was struggling to figure out how to get these pyramids made and said, yeah, these are killing me, man. You know, could you invent a card game? I could get a card game printed really easily. And I said, okay, let me think about that. And the next day, I invented Flux. The next day? That was a good day. Basically, yeah. What was that? July? July 26th, 19, 24th, 1996, I think. July 24th, 1996. 25th, 20, that was a good day. One of those days. You know the date. <laughs> it must be a good day. Um, yeah, I, have a, I have a little memo where I describe, I think I've got an idea for a game. And I lay out 
all the kind of the basic concepts that are part of the game now, including the core set of original keepers, which are milk and cookies and, and uh, time and money and uh, sun and the moon. Well, can you explain Flux a little bit? Because that's kind of like the signature. You guys have tons of, of oh, games, sure. but just explain well, a little Flux bit. Flux is a card game about change that changes as you play it, so that it's never the same game twice. There are basically four standard kinds of cards. There are keepers, which represent various things or concepts like time or money or milk and cookies or, you know, the pirate's hat if it's pirate flux or whatever, appropriate stuff. Um, Chainsaws or baseball bats if it's zombie flux. Right. Oh, right. So various things you might want, friends, coffee, donuts, various things you might want. So those are keepers. You keep them in front of you when you play them. Then there are goals that generally require that you have two particular keepers in front of you. Milk and cookies, for example. If you have the milk card and the cookies card, you win. Or time is money. You have the time card and the money card, you win. But the goal can be changed as soon as new goals play. There's like 30 goals in the deck, and you play a new one, and then that's the goal for everyone. As soon as somebody meets that goal, even if it's not your turn, you win, which means you can make somebody else win accidentally if you're not careful, or the, the rules just compel you to. But the real fun is the rules that change. Uh, when it starts, it's very basic. Draw one and play one. You start with a hand of three cards, you draw one out at your hand and play a card. All cards are always playable. But new rules are cards that change those rules, and such rules take effect immediately. So if I play a rule called play four, well, then suddenly the rules have changed from draw one to draw, draw one, play one to draw one, play four, and now I have to play three more cards right now in order to come into compliance with that altered rule set. And if I play a draw four card, well, now i got to draw three more cards. And... Then there are all kinds of crazy rules that can get put into play as well. And uh, that's where the fun happens. And then the fourth kind of card is the action, which is just a one-off, do-what-it-says kind of card. Hmm. And those are the structure that all the different fluxes work within. And some have other cards as well, other types of cards, creepers that are things you don't want, like the zombies and zombies. And surprises. Cards, which oh. you can play out of turn. But, it's basically uh, like, I mean... But it's sort of a building block system. What, it, what, what was the year we said? It was, it was 96. 96. So yeah. it's been 16, 17 years, and we've done a dozen versions of Flux. And the game, the design of Flux has evolved over those years with fun new things added and new versions have new stuff in them. Um, well, and, and, uh, and I'm a game designer, and I'm a kind of I'm an inventor, but I, I sometimes think of myself as a discoverer. Like, that I'm I'm figuring out this way of playing a game that it's just like, hey, look at this discovery I made. If you do this, you can play a game like this. Hmm. And each new rule idea or, or, or suggestion for how to change it to make it even cooler is like a discovery. Hey, look, we discovered that if you do this, it's even more fun. Hmm. So every game is evolving constantly. Not only the rules and and that, but as a, oh, yeah, a well, from a meta standpoint. Well, and yeah. Flux itself, from a meta standpoint, Flux itself has evolved over the 16 years. If you look at the original Flux that came out back then and compare it to like Star Flux, which is one of the more recent ones that's come out, Star Flux is so much more complicated. The keepers do special things. There's like there's like there's so much cool stuff going on. It's a much more complex, rich game. Um, well, it's a very robust system. I can add in things kind of wherever they make sense to add them in. And so a discovery that came along somewhere was that I, I could add fine print onto a keeper that gave it a special power once it was on the table. Like, hmm. hey, if you had this on the table, you can do something. And so it's a self-modifying game that we're continuing to modify. 
Well, it's funny because it's kind of taken, um, not to get too nerdy here, but it sounds like Munchkin is very similar, which is made by Steve Jackson Games. But it's, uh, it's um, it, it, <laughs> I don't mean, to, I'm not giving plugs, from an unnamed card company. Um, and then there's a... No, no problem. I, I'm just trying to be funny. No, no. Steve Jackson. Steve no. Jackson lets us feel like, yeah, it's okay to name our company after ourselves, you know? <laughs> right, right. We know Steve well, it's okay. No, well, because there's, there's, there's other card games that are similar to that, but, but yours seems way more simple. You know, like it's uh, anyone can play it. Well, like I was a big Magic fan growing up, and it's similar in that the cards come into play and they do stuff that affects everyone. But that sure. game is so complex, and there's yeah. millions of cards. Whereas Flux, it's it's in you only buy one set. You have all 116 or 84 or some set of cards. Hundred cards. Hundred cards, and that's all you need. And yeah. and anyone can play it, and, and it's I, and boom. I will tell you why that is true. I have thought very much to make it easy mm. because. I learned that hard games are a lot of trouble. They are. You'll re remember our history. We talked about the that first game you play with the pyramids. Mm -hmm. It's it's a game called Ice House, and it was made by my friend John Cooper, designed based on my ideas that was we described. It is one heck of a hard game to learn. Mm. It is so complicated. There is so much going on. It's a very difficult game to, to play, and it was a great first game. I mean, we learned a lot from it. But looking back on it, after years of, of pitching that game and saying, trying to get people to learn it. And once you learn it, it's an amazing game. It is. And, mm. and John yeah. has a couple of other games. In fact, my very favorite game for these pyramids of all time is another one invented by John called Homeworlds, which is an epic interstellar space battle game that is sort of the chess for these pyramids. And I which could is not. Which all time favorite game. Of, of, from any platform. It's an really? incredibly rich, interesting, pure strategy game. I absolutely love it, Homeworlds. But it also is a very, very complicated and difficult game to learn. And having spent enough time trying to teach people these complicated games, I have learned to make my game designs easier and easier and easier to the point where, like the game we just brought out last month, our brand new high-speed matching card game called Lunacy. Nice plug. I like that. <laughs> Carefully stuck in there. <laughs> Beautiful. It's so easy. It is unbelievable how easy it is. And it's but yet still incredibly compelling and fun, and it has that, oh, damn it, I, I was about to win. Let's, let's do that again. Yeah, right, right. But, but it has that let's play again thing so strong it sure and it's does. so fun to play. But it's, it's, it's so way simple. easier. Whereas Flux is, is intended to be, in fact, my original memo talked about how it'll be incredibly easy to learn. Because at first it is. It's just draw one and play one. And it draws you in. The game becomes more complex as new get rules get introduced, but you don't need to know about them until those cards are played. Hmm. So it has a, a very gradual learning curve yeah. that you don't it's, have to climb one of the reasons until that you get into it. One of the reasons it's so easy is that <laughs> if you're ever confused in a game of Flux, all you got to do is look at the rules on the table and read them and follow them. You follow the rules on the table. They're very straightforward. And if you're never, if there's a card that's confusing you, just read out loud what the text says on that card, and it will tell you what to do. Hmm. You know, it's 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 but it's all it, there. It's also just the case that, as I said, it has a gradual sort of phased learning that lets you draw in and learn as you as you go. And that's how I like to teach games anyway. I, I like to 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 if I'm teaching somebody a game, I like to give them only enough to get started and then start playing, hmm. and then add. You know, as as it comes, you know, I don't need to explain how you build a factory on turn 10 if you're not going to have that power until you get to a bunch of stuff. 
So don't right. waste you know a lot of time with my eyes glazing over explaining how you build a factory right now. <laughs> Just get me started playing, and then when we get along, you're like, oh hey now you know what? You now have the power to build you a, a factory. Let me explain how that how that's done. The one thing I I do this too. This is the way I teach games. But I sometimes will say, okay, we're gonna get started, but I want to let you know there's three rules I haven't told you yet, and I'm gonna tell you them later. Because sometimes if you don't do that, then you get later in the game and they start getting mad. What do you mean you didn't tell me all those? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, that makes sense. You've got to let them know that, that you haven't yeah. actually There's some them. Some people like to know every rule before they start, and other people are very comfortable with let's just start playing and see how well, it goes. Well, and my favorite example of that is with a game called Ice Dice, which is a much more recently invented pyramid game, mm -hmm. and which is one of our, our flagship kind of entry point games. One of my now. favorites. And it's got the same feeling that. Um, your, you, you know, when I'm explaining it, I don't even explain how you win. Hmm. I, 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 I don't need to know that right now. I just need to know, you know how to do these things you're building. Just roll the dice. And just roll the dice, and the dice are telling you you get this, you get your choice between this. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to me, as a little thought experiment, to see how long some people will go along playing the game without being told how you win. And without asking. Without even caring. And at yeah. some point they'll be like, so how do you win this game? Whereas other people won't even start. They won't even play along they with will me. Roll the they're dice like, hold on, I need to know how to win this game. What's yeah. my objective? That's so bizarre. Yeah, we conduct these psychological experiments on our demo, <laughs> on, on the people for demoing all the time. Like, well, we what are, kind of gamer are you? We are Looney Labs, and we are a laboratory conducting experiments in fun. Our mission is to create fun, and you know, a lot of what we do is play testing to find out what is the most fun. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I want to clean up some stuff in in all in what you just said here really quickly. First of all, I'm going to tell you why I love you guys and not Steve Jackson because I contacted <laughs> Steve Jackson and he wouldn't do an interview with me and you guys oh. did. But I will tell you this. I will tell you. In his defense, he gave me the nicest rejection letter I've ever had in my life, and it was. He basically said he was too busy, but he responded and he was nice, but. He didn't do it, and I'm talking to you guys. So, number one, ranking number one, Looney Labs. Um, number two, wh what does it take? We didn't even really touch on the business aspect of this. I want to touch on it while we can. How does how did Flux, I mean, to create a small business, that is, you know, you guys have done so many amazing things and all these incredible games, but how do you can have a business, that a small business that's grown and been profitable for close to 20 years? We've worked our butts off and, and scrimped and saved and put all of our money into it. And, and Kristen has done amazing, amazing things running a company. And we've gotten a lot of help from our friends, um, and investments from We haven't been members. profitable for 20 years. And, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> That's the key. Sometimes we are. Some years we're a little above the line. Sometimes not recently we haven't been below we're, the line. We're, we're yeah. making but, enough to pay ourselves, but we have still well, a lot and, of And eight employees. And, I mean, we're making yeah. enough to support eight people. Which is pretty awesome. And four of them um, were added recently. I noticed on your website, like, four were added in the past year. Yeah, we've actually had a, a, a surprising heavy turnover in this past year. But uh, it, they've all been very good hires. And, uh, you know, things change. Time changes. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Oh, and, and Luna's... We're a good team at this point, And we're moving forward very well. No, it looks like a great. It looks like a very robust company. And Lunacy, by the way, I saw the video. Does look like a lot of fun. Does oh, it's great! Fun. It looks I like can't believe how great it is. I, I've, I've been, you know, it, we, Flux has done so good for us that all of our, all of my other game inventions hate it. 
because just, nothing else looks good compared to Flux because Flux yeah. does so well yeah. that even other things that would be a hit by other standards look terrible compared to Flux's numbers. And that's why we keep making so many different versions of Flux because they sell like crazy and everything yeah. else just kind of sits there by comparison. Right. And one by one, I've invented other cool games that have been really cool but just you know don't seem to measure up to Flux in its success. But I think with Lunacy we have a chance of it, it really taking off. I, I have not seen people get excited about one of my games like they have been about Lunacy. Since, since Flux. Since the early days first, of Flux. Yeah, since, yeah. since the early days of Flux. No kidding. Yeah, it's um, really exciting. Uh, so that then that just came out like a month ago, right? Yeah. That's like, yeah. yeah, well, but part of it, we're still learning. You know, yeah. but we've done a couple of conventions. We were at PAX um, a couple of weeks ago, and then we were just at AwesomeCon last weekend. Um, but and demo is great. Everyone who tries it buys it. Because it's so simple and easy to learn and so fun and compelling to play, you can sit down and do a five, ten minute demo. You've played two games. They've been like, oh, I want to keep playing that. And it's like, I have it right there. It's like 15 bucks. Give me a 20. I'll give you a game and a five back. Right. And we can even autograph it right now. Right. It's just like so easy to and sell. And it's so fun because it has no turns. It's unlike any other card game. Well, there's a couple yeah. others. But most card games or board games like that, well, there are a couple others. But, but they're by us. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but it's, it's great in that you, no one's taking a turn, so you're not waiting on any. Everything's happening all at the same time. It's very exciting. And it's only, it only takes five minutes. It's perfect for that uh, while waiting for your food time slice. Yeah. Um, well, I want to tell you about my favorite game design that you guys have done. And yep. this one actually kind of blew me away. I think this is honestly one of the simplest. Uh, it's the hardest concept to make a game around. Not only did you guys make it effectively, it is. It plays so smoothly and it's so easy. It's. I have the Back to the Future card game, but the game it's based on is Chrononauts. Yep. And I'm gonna let you describe it. Um, but it is. I'm just telling you from a. From a personal standpoint, that is what made me a fan of you guys because I love that game. Yeah, I think this is in some ways Andy's best game design. Oh, easily. Um, it is. It is wonderful. It is time travel in a box, um, and this is the one Andy mentioned it earlier too. It's it's you take cards and you lay out a grid on the table of cards that become a game board, and you flip certain linchpins over that ripple forward in time and make certain things not happen, so that you have these holes in time. And then you have patch cards you can play on top. And so you can basically have alternate histories of what the world was like instead. So it's like a, a timeline of true changeable history that you can start messing around with and having different alternate realities come into play. Um, it's, it's, it's worth the 20 bucks just to read the <laughs> fiction that's on all those cards. Right. The stories that are intertwined in and amongst all of the alternate realities that are in there are just beautifully written. It is it's um, really it's good, fun. It's good stuff. Yeah. Well, and I, I, that was my explanation. That was great. No, that was what good. I mean, I, yeah, I, I like that you're uh, such a fan of Chrononauts. I'm very proud of it. Um, basically, I've always been a big fan of time travel. And when I started inventing games, I thought, wow, I should totally do a game about time travel. I have never seen a good one. Mm -hmm. There that's, are not that's very true. many time travel games out there. And the ones that have been out there, in my opinion, don't quite make the mark. So I wanted one, and I invented one. And uh, I tried to put all the best lore that I'd seen over the years about how time travel works into a game and tie it all together with my own bunch of stories and sensibilities and thoughts about how things might be different. And I I'm very proud of it. I'm glad you like it. You should, you should be. And I have the back and, of the... No, go and ahead. we have a patent on time travel. That's true. Look at yeah. you. you guys are it's way ahead of me every time. 
What is it? The method of method of simulating time travel in a card game. Right. <laughs> you got. That's funny that you mentioned that. You actually have three patents, and I was going to segue into. You guys are great. You guys are so easy. Uh, you have because you, you have three patents on on game designs. One of them is like you said, time travel in a card game, right? Or it's yep, uh, yep. yeah. And yep. what are your your other ones are? And you can explain these for me. Well, uh, the, the other ones are both for the pyramids. One is for the that very original game that I was describing, the John Cooper invented based on my game. <clears throat> and that was a, a, our first patent back in 1990. Um, and then uh, I invented a uh, another game after we had the hollow pyramids. And I, I patented that one to, to kind of take advantage of the ways. The new pyramid design stack, and and that's that's the current enforced patent on the pyramids, and then the other one, as you uh, as you say, is on 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 chrononauts. Yeah, I, I've never heard of anyone having a patent on on gaming conventions. It's amazing. So no one else can do that without giving you a little bit of the old the idea, rub my fingers together, meaning money. Get a little, get your beak wet on that. The problem is that game design is actually not very well represented by, or protected rather, by modern intellectual property law. It falls in a kind of awkward zone between copyright and trade and uh, patent. Hmm. <laughs> Patents protect methods of doing things, but they only last for, for 17 years. The idea is after that, the invention is now everybody knows how to use it and other people should be able to make advantage, make it as well. and. The original inventor gets an exclusive on it, but only for a while. After that, the machinery of that mechanism should be open to everyone. That's the logic behind patents. Copyrights are very different. They represent intellectual property that is created by more of an artist, and it can't be stolen or used until, like, I mean, you're, you can't be... You, you, that protection goes, like, till 50 or 70 years after mm. the, the artist dies? Mm. It's insane how much longer that works compared to copy, compared to patent. And yet games are, are are a mix of both. They have some of that machinery and the mechanism, but they have a lot of copyrightable material as well. The the themes and the, 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 the stories, the, the rules, the way they are written, the, the, the look of the game board, all of these things are, are covered by copyright. And those copyright laws are easily circumvented by a publisher who changes the way the game looks and rewrites the rules in their own language and changes all the names, but even if it's the same basic game invention, they can get away with that if the game invention has not been patented. Hmm. And even if it's been patented, well, it slips into the public domain after 17 years when that patent expires. And I, I as an inventor, have lived long enough to see my first patent go 17 years and pass. Wow. And that's and that was the Chrononauts one. That's no, the no, that's, that's the, the pyramid one. The pyramid one, because the Chrononauts is still in force for a few more years. That's but crazy. But when that time passes, it'll be possible for anyone to do their own time travel game using my me patented mechanism, and I won't be able to stop them or or uh, collect any sort of royalty or license because at that point, they'll be free to. Unless you actually went back in time and stopped them, if you know well, what I mean. Yes. It is widely speculated that the reason I was able to do such a good job on Chrononauts is that I do have a time machine. <laughs> I used it to explore various alternatives. <laughs> well, and, uh, I can neither confirm to deny that that's, that's entirely false. Well, you, you guys are two NASA scientists put together. If you had a time <laughs> machine, it would not surprise me. Well, yeah. so I want to. This, this is the most important part of the interview. I'm going to segue into right now. 
All right. You at the when I met you guys at the game convention, you did the thing called Andy versus everyone, which is a really cool idea. And uh, Kristen explained it to me before you came down, and I was like, "Oh, that's crazy!" Because you, I'm gonna let you guys explain it, and then I'll tell you why why we're talking about this. Well, it's very simple. It's just kind of my version of the guy in the park who can play chess with you know five, ten people at a time, each with their own setup. Except for me, it's my games. So you know, Flux, whatever version of Flux, other pyramid games I've been in, Chrononauts, you know, some of these other games. Not so much lunacy. That was going to be a hard one to do in an anniversary. No, because it's real time. But it, mm-hmm. basically, the idea is that if you have several different games, even up to maybe ten at a time, where other people are taking their turns, and it's only my turn every couple of minutes, and I can run around and take my turn as soon as it comes up in all these different games, and we give everybody a little flag so they can put the flag up. When the flag is standing up, it means it's my turn. And as soon as I can, I'll run over there and take my turn and set the flag back down. So we have a set of 10 of these flags, and we run this event at conventions where we get 30 to 40 people sitting into a horseshoe of tables with Andy in the middle um, running around, and everybody, you know, clusters of, of all these games around. And We also and give them little bells, and the bell is used to signify that they need my attention right away. Like, <laughs> it's not waiting for my turn to come around, but I need to do something during somebody else's turn, and they need to me to come over and make some decision or something. So that kind of is a higher level interrupt. My bell ringing privileges are yeah. often <laughs> taken away from me. <laughs> yes, use the bell. Those, those people have their bell taken away. It's true. <laughs> higher level interrupt. So you have this game, and I played it with you, and I kind of sat down, and I wanted to play Back to the Future against you. Not really sure how it was going to work. Do you remember how, uh, you remember how that turned out, Andy? I have no idea. Did you win? I did win. I beat you at Back to the Future, and I felt really good about it. And there's video on the website of me beating you at Back to the Future, which was a lot of fun because I swerved you. You thought you were going to win. And I, I'm going to tell you this. I don't normally tell my, my competitors this, but you were really good at the game, and I kind of swerved you accidentally, and that's how I snuck in and won, and I'm very impressed with that victory. Well, uh, now I want to go watch the video because I, I don't really remember it. But uh, imagine when I see it again, I'm like, "All right, that game." Oh, it, yeah. Oh, it stung. I know it stung, Andy. Yeah, don't tell I'm me you sure don't remember that. Well, I often actually win about a third of the games I play in this Andy versus. Almost seven. consistently, yeah. every time he does an Andy versus every, he does it for about two hours, and he'll win about thirty. Yeah, I like to have my lovely assistant keep track of all my wins and losses. Yeah. In what games I was playing, and yeah, I, I actually manage a pretty consistent one-third win rate. That's not bad. That's not bad no. at all. And you told me one thing that was interesting, and I didn't even think about it until later, that I was doing something, and my immediate response when someone leaves is, hey, do you want to know what I did? Let me show you what I just did. And you're like, well, it doesn't matter what you did. Uh, all that matters are the current conditions and what I can yep. do within them. And I was well, like, and, that's why he's yeah. a higher-level thinker. Well, that's, that's one of my kind of design criteria, actually. I try to have my games be such that I can check out completely when it's not my turn. I don't want to have to be paying attention. Well, that's what Andy versus everybody is all about. I don't want to have to be paying any attention when it's not my turn. Because I can't be. I've left the table. I'm over here playing another game. Mm-hmm. So I need to be able to just have it be that whatever goes down happens while I'm gone. And when I come back, I can look at the table, see what's what, and act accordingly. Yeah, that's consistent in most of Andy's game designs. Hmm. Um, that that he, he designs games that he's going to like. You know, and that he makes gets sense. distracted, so he walks away from the table. So he likes to make games that he gets to do that, and it's okay. <laughs> um, something, something that's actually very unusual about us as a game company um, is that 
our purpose, what we do, well, I mean, we design fun, but but our purpose is to publish Andy's games. Um, we're we're not like, and, and someday, you know, far in the future, when we're done, when we're out of games from him, we might look at something else. But right yeah. now, everything we publish is designed by Andy Looney, um, and which is unusual. Most game companies publish things by lots of different designers. Right. Um, but we very much do, and, and it means that everything in our product line has a certain feel to it because they're all the kind of games they're all designed by Andy they're all a certain feel they're all you know quick and simple easy to play easy to learn really fun to teach yeah um, and I have that luck strategy thing that I was talking about before yeah and one of the things they have is you can walk away when it's not your turn um, <laughs> you know, and check out the table when you get back so. <laughs> that's, that's pretty well, incredible like, like Steve Jackson he invents a lot of his own games but Some he's, of them. he's been well he's He's been at this a lot longer than we have, but uh, I think in the early days he was kind of their main designer. But nowadays he's he's got people that design a lot of other things, and they are more of a larger game company taking on whatever um, publishing options they decide to. But we're I'm not out of ideas yet, <laughs> <laughs> so we're still publishing my stuff. That's good. Do you have anything? Can you give me a preview on what you got coming out? What's it? What's it? What's in the lab? We got the license from Cartoon Network. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Really. Big fans of regular show on Cartoon Network. Regular show, and yeah, so, regular so you guys are gonna use show. that? Are you gonna are you gonna do like what you did with the Back to the Future and apply it to an existing game or in or it's in? Flux. Yeah, we're doing oh. a regular show, a regular, regular show flux. Oh, that's exciting. Out in late June, late oh. early July. Oh, that's exciting. Look at that. And if you've never heard of it, regular show is anything but a regular show. It is one of the weirdest shows I've ever seen, and it is extremely hilarious. Extremely hilarious. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. In fact, I have a homework assignment for you <laughs> and for all your listeners. Okay. Your, your, your homework assignment is to go watch regular show. Okay. It's on Netflix. It's on demand. It's on TV. New episodes are showing up all the time. It's really fun. It's really surreal. And... In a few months, you're gonna to want to go get regular show flux, and um, it, you it, want to understand the joke. Yeah, <laughs> so if you want to understand the little baby ducks and and uh, <laughs> baby ducks are so cute. <laughs> yeah, all the other crazy references in this game. Um, if you do your homework between now and late June, early July, bunch then, of baby ducks. Send them to the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's well, anyway, we've been watching a lot of cartoons lately. Right? Uh, no, it's, it's, I, <laughs> I imagine. I've been watching a lot of cartoons. That does not surprise me. Uh, all right, so we're coming to a close. I want to talk about I want to talk about the awards that you guys have won because you've won several awards for your for your games, right? Yep. The, one of the most prestigious awards in the game industry is the Origins Award, uh, given out at the Origins Gaming Convention every summer. And uh, we've been lucky to receive eight of eight of those over the years. Okay. No and we've also won a Mensa award. Yeah, we've, two Mensa. We've, uh, yeah, a couple of Mensa, a couple awards. Of Mensa awards. Yeah, Flux. And uh, we've won some Parents Choice Awards. Chrononauts won a Parents Choice Award. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple of other Family Fun or something. A variety Back to of fun. I, yeah. I forget all the different ones. I don't know. I think they're listed on our website somewhere. They should be. They should. I will. will I'm linking to your. I'm linking to your website. They should be there. Um, I assume you guys are both Mensa members. Is that true? Actually, no. Yeah. No. I, I'm sure. I, I probably am smart enough, but yeah. uh, we're actually <laughs> being signed up or took the test to get in. Okay, well, that's, but you'll take their award, dang it. But well, they, the Mensa Mensa has this annual competition called the Mensa Mind Games, where all the new games of the year that that they consider for uh, this award are played during the course of a gaming weekend at one of their conventions. And they love our games. <laughs> and 
Um, yeah, every year they then announce these are the five winners or whatever it is of the, the Mensa Awards. And so it's a very prestigious award to get. But yeah. we are actually not Mensa members ourselves, no. Wow. Um, and I do want to say one thing. You guys have very consistent branding. But on your website, Kristen, I notice you always have your headscarf, which I love the look. It is not on your website. The little picture of you has you with just long hair. I was a little oh, disappointed yeah. when I saw oh, it. I'll that, fix that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Wait. was... That was added, actually. The first yeah. version of that art didn't have the headscarf. Yeah. And, and I actually had the designer add the headscarf to that particular graphic. Yeah. But there's copies so of the old version. There's that copies of the old ones yeah. around. I'll have to get that fixed. I was very disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I was very disappointed. When does this go live? I'll fix this before. We've got two weeks. Says, I'll make a liar out of you. <laughs> We've got two weeks. <laughs> two weeks? Oh, <laughs> two weeks. oh, you have plenty of time to fix that graphic. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, I want to thank you. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Um, oh, and well, let me give you let me give you your websites. Oh, how silly of me. Let's, where can people find you on interwebs? Looneylabs.com. That's L-O-O-N-E-Y-L-A-B-S.com. And you can also go to fluxgames.com. F-L-U-X-X. Flux Games for just the summary of specifically flux. Two X's, not three. Two. Two. Two Let's X's. Yes, PG. Um, and also, you guys are very active on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, and all the links are on Looney Labs. Correct? Absolutely, yes. Okay, wonderful. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much for being here, uh, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night.